And so, I don't know, we have a, the hotel industry here is very strong. So I, I, I feel like, you know, that has uh, something to do with how these uh, council people make their decisions. You know, I can't. I mean, it has to, right? I mean, how does that make any sense that if it's a short-term rental, you need three parking spots, but if it's a long-term rental, you don't need three parking spots? It, it, yeah, yeah, stuff like that doesn't make sense. It's, uh, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, they're obviously trying to push back against against short-term renters. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Once again, they find a way to uh, make everybody's life uh, a little bit more uh, difficult, so. That's what the government is there for, make your life difficult. Welcome to the Highly Leveraged Podcast, interviewing landlords and industry professionals to help you start and continue to scale your rental income portfolio. Here's your host, Dave Rosa. What's up? Matthew Haggerty with me today. He was born and raised in the Bay Area. He moved all the way across country and started all over just a few years ago. He's got a half a dozen properties in his own personal name. He has two partners in a business where they renovate five to 10 houses per month, all from out of state. After the renovations, they either rent and hold them, rent and sell them as turnkeys, or just flip them completely. It seems pretty stressful to be flipping five to 10 houses a month with three guys all from different states, but here's Matt to tell you more. All right, so you're in Nashville, Tennessee now, born and raised in San Francisco. Uh, you're a structural engineer. Uh, how did you make the move? What made you move all the way out to Nashville? I guess, yeah, the, to make the move. I don't know. It's funny because out in California, I was working for a contractor, and he was grooming me to take over the company. He had a very successful construction and engineering company out there, and uh you know, one day he wanted me to take over. So he, he was grooming me for, for years. And, um, but for me, it wasn't my business. Um, I didn't feel like me taking over his business was the right path for me. I just had, um, a feeling that I, I needed to do something on my own, something for myself, for my family. And so, you know, my wife and I, we, had been to Nashville a few times. She went to school out here for, for graduate school. So she knew the area pretty well. And it was just something that we both felt in our guts was, uh, what we wanted to do was kind of break away from everything we knew. We don't, we didn't know anybody here, no family, no friends, no connections, nothing, um, other than just a desire to do something for ourselves. And so that's what kind of broke us away. Um, pretty much got here, uh, New Year's Eve of 2017 and then New Year's Day just started hitting the pavement, started looking at properties, connecting with people, networking, and also growing uh, the engineering business so I can make money pretty quickly and uh, support the passion of uh, growing the real estate business as well. And now when you moved out to Nashville, you said you had some properties in California at that time? Yeah. Yep. What did, what did you have at that time? And you ended up unloading those, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So at the, by the time I moved, um, I was left with one single family rental. Everything else had gotten sold at that point. Uh, but it was a good rental. You know, it wasn't, it was in uh, Oakland and it was in a rough part of town and it cash flowed an insane amount. Uh, back then, I didn't know of what you know, the bigger pockets guys, they have their burst strategy. And I wasn't familiar with it, what it was at the time, but 
you know, the, the deal was so good that, you know, we were able to put a down payment on, on the property, get financing, fix it up. And then we refied it. And for the amount that we could refi it for, I was like, man, I can take out all the money I put in. And now we have a, essentially a free property that cash flows, you know, uh, with no money out of pocket. And I thought that was like the coolest thing. And, um, that was like one of the first rentals I had ever done. And so for me, my bar was set, uh, from, uh, an early point in my career that if I'm going to pick up and hold something, I don't want any money in it at all. And that's kind of how I, uh, evaluate a lot of my rentals and stuff I'm doing to this day, um, with some of my businesses is we're, we're huge fans of the bear strategy. We're huge fans of, you know, being able to, um, force equity into properties so that we can take that money out and use it somewhere else. And then, you know, depending on how the property does good, bad, you know, indifferent, um, at least the money's out and it's like playing with house money all the time. Absolutely. All right. So you moved there in 2017, basically right at 2018. You started up your new business. How did you start buying properties in that area? Were you doing it with your own money? Did you find partners in the area? Yeah. So back then, you know, I, I had done a few properties here and there in California with, with an old partner. Coming from California to Tennessee, I was able to sell my house in California, sell some uh, properties in California. So I had a, a good amount of cash, but I wasn't familiar too much with, you know, certain things like hard money and other ways of, of um, funding projects. I was very familiar, you know, I had a great W-2. So I was using bank financing, 10, you know, 10, 20% down, I'd be good to go. Well, when I move out here, I don't have that W-2 anymore. So banks won't touch me. Um, I needed uh, two years of uh, business experience with my new businesses. And so I, at the beginning, when I first moved here, I just used my own money. I didn't um, use hard money. I didn't use private money, anything like that. And what I learned from that was it's great because you don't pay interest on that money. But at the same time, it limits what you can do. I remember the first deal that I got into when I moved here it was just a, a basic flip in a good part of town, you know, bought it cash, paid for the whole rehab with cash. And at that time, I picked up another, I think, property or two cash as well. And very quickly, my funds had gotten um, used up or not used up, I guess, put into these projects. And my wife and I at this, well, my fiance at the time, we were getting married uh, within the first year that we moved here. And I remember two weeks before the wedding freaking out because all my money was tied up in these properties, things that were supposed to be sold, you know, six, eight weeks ago, you know, were sitting on the market at that time. It wasn't the hottest part of the year. Um, and so, you know, what I was counting on being sold wasn't being sold. I remember two weeks, yeah, two weeks before our wedding, not having any money to pay our vendors and freaking out that I wasn't, you know, I would either have to borrow money from a family member or that, you know, we'd have to scale back the wedding or something like that. And luckily one of the houses sold at that point, I was able to free up some capital and, you know, the wedding happened and everything was great, but it was a very good learning lesson for me not to over leverage myself, not to, you know, um, 
constrain myself by having too much capital out. And uh, it also taught me um, the value of using other people's money as opposed to, you know, funding everything yourself. Yeah, it must have been a huge change coming from the Bay Area to the prices in uh, Nashville. When you first moved to Nashville, what were the average single family house prices around 200? Or what are they like down there? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty accurate. Um, you know, depending on what part of town you're in. Yeah, anywhere from yeah, 200,000 to 300,000. Um, and yeah, now it's now it's crazy. But um, yeah, in the in the Bay Area, you know, shoot stuff was average home price was probably about 700,000, you know, so quite a quite a different price difference. Uh, being a structural engineer too, um, I just noticed, you know, construction, how things are built, construction materials, things like that are, is something that I, I look at very closely that I notice. And I think the biggest surprise, one of the biggest surprises from moving out there was just how things are constructed out here, especially in the residential world. Um, and so that was a, an interesting thing for me to see because I go from very conservative building standards in California out to Tennessee where it's very uh, lax, I guess. It's not things that are built out here, especially in the residential world here in the uh, southeast part of the country. It's very, I don't know, I call it the wild, wild west out here because it's very, there's not a lot of oversight. Contractors are kind of free to do whatever they want to do. You know, things, being a structural engineer out here is great because there's not a lot of competition, not a lot of other structural engineers and a lot of contractors uh, left to their own devices, unfortunately, um, at times uh, create a lot of issues or a lot of business for me to come in after them and kind of clean up the messes that they put together just because there aren't a lot of uh, over. There's not a lot of oversight. You don't need an engineer to design your house. You can have shoot a hand drawing from an art. A designer doesn't even have to be an architect. Um, and, uh, you can build a house and, you know, inspectors come, they, you know, some of them know what they're doing. Most of them don't know the structural aspects, framing, foundation, drainage, things like that. You must have to lay down a lot of bad news then when you show up to some of these places. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a little intimidating at first. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a transplant. Here's this California kid coming out and telling all these builders and, you know, builders will say, I've been doing this for 30 years this way. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you've been doing it wrong for 30 years. So, uh, you know, um, but yeah, so it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun because I've seen a lot of crazy things out here um, just from the structural world. But, you know, it's a it's a different place, different ways of building. So it also is a great way to expand my knowledge base and and, uh, open up my eyes to different ways of doing things. All right. So you moved out there and initially you started flipping while you were building your business. So did you buy any buy and hold at that time when you first moved there that first year? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of flipping, a little bit of buy and hold. Um, Actually, I still have a couple of those rentals now. Um, Both of those, uh, the the couple that I still have held on to, all of those are um, properties where, yeah, you know, buy it, fix it up, pull the equity out. Um, and then use it other places. So yeah, I still have some, uh, some long-term rentals here. And then, uh, one of the reasons, one of the things I told myself when I'd move is, uh, I really wanted to get into short-term rentals 
and Nashville is a great tourist market. It's not the easiest of places to in Nashville proper to have short-term rentals because of uh, the laws that have been passed within the past few years out here concerning short-term rentals. But I do have some short-term rentals out here as well, and those are those guys are rock stars. They're they're a lot of fun to have. Are those uh, condos right in the city, or are they houses outside of the limits? Uh, they're in the city. Um, right now, um, I have a, a triplex close to downtown, and um, that's a short-term rental. Uh, that one's a little tricky, though, because the way of it, that it's zoned. Um, here in Nashville, there it seems like every couple months they're passing new laws to restrict um, short-term rentals or make it harder to have them. The ones that I do have by the end of this year won't be uh, eligible to be short-term rentals, but I'm getting grandfathered in. Really? Yeah. So, um, so it's kind of tricky because a lot of people that do, when I first moved here, you could have any single family home, owner occupied, non-owner occupied did not matter. You could make an Airbnb. So this was 2017, 2018. Within a few months of me living here, they did pass a law saying, if it's a single family, it's certain zoning, but if it's essentially a single family home that's non-owner occupied, it can't be a short-term rental. And so a lot of people get grandfathered into these new laws that pass. But then if neighbors complain or you don't pay your fees on time, things like that, they'll pull your permits. So um, air, uh, short-term rentals out here are really difficult to, to keep. And then um, so they're, they're definitely more of a premium out here just because there is so much tourism, you know, so many people would, uh, certain people want short-term rentals as opposed to a hotel or something like that. Sure. And so to keep them and to be running them successfully is just going to be a, a premium as things move forward, specifically in this town, just because they're so difficult to not only run and maintain, but to not, you know, uh, get into issues with the city. Now, why are they putting so many restrictions on? Is it just people complaining, just residents complaining that they're out partying and making all kinds of noise or is there something else to it? Um, I know from talking to locals in my neighborhood and the neighborhoods that I invest in, um, there are some residents that obviously do not like the partying, the bachelor and bachelorette parties, things like that. But I, I also think there's also an agenda from the city itself, certain members of the city government that are pushing to uh, to restrict them or get rid of them because uh, it, it just seems ridiculous. It's like every couple months there's a council person uh, suggesting new ways of restricting Airbnbs. The latest one here is they want to pass for every Airbnb for every bedroom uh, in one of those short-term rentals, there has to be a parking spot. Well, if you have a condo downtown and it's a two or three bedroom condo, uh, good luck trying to find, you know, three parking spots for that condo. Um, and that's for long-term and, rental too, or that's only if you're short-term rental? Just short-term. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they're, they, they do all these like crazy things. Like you can't have a short-term rental across the street or next to uh, a church, a school. Um, so, you know, they, they do all these crazy restrictions. So even if you meet certain requirements, there's just a whole 
list of requirements that you need to meet. Um, and it, it's changing all the time. Like there's always something new coming up. And so I don't know, we have a, the hotel industry here is very strong. So I, I, I feel like, you know, that has uh, something to do with how these uh, council people make their decisions. Yeah, I can't. I mean, it has to, right? I mean, how does that make any sense that if it's a short-term rental, you need three parking spots, but if it's a long-term rental, you don't need three parking spots. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that doesn't make sense. It's, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. They're obviously trying to push back against, against short-term renters. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. How many do you have in the Nashville area right now? How many Airbnbs do you have? Uh, right now I have three. Um, and I'm also in the middle of developing five more, um, which I'm going to ultimately hold on to. So, um, Oh, tell me about that. What do you how how are you developing it? Is it a townhouse situation? Yep. Yep. So I, I found a, a lot in East Nashville, which is a you know a, pretty, a very hot part of town, young, hip, a lot of young families going there. It actually reminds me of Oakland. I always tell people it reminds me of Oakland a lot because it's rough around the edges, but it's a very progressive area. And so I uh, picked up a lot from uh, a wholesaler. Um, that's actually something I real quick, something I learned when I moved out here. I didn't know what a wholesaler was. You know, I knew what it was, but in California, there's not a lot of people, at least in the circles I was around with wholesale properties, but, you know, move out here. It's like a whole industry, you know, uh, wholesaling is really big out here. So I found um, a piece of land through a wholesaler and then I was going through the whole process of the design, you know, the architecture, the site design um, on this property to put, yeah, five uh, short-term rental townhomes, uh, attached townhomes on this lot. And I was interviewing other contractors because my whole idea was, well, I'll pick up the lot, I'll get it designed, I'll pull the permits, and then I'll have someone else build it. You know, I know a lot of builders in town. I do a lot of structural work for other builders. So I started interviewing them and, you know, I've been in, in construction now for over 10 years um, and built a lot of different things, especially in the residential world. And so as I was interviewing these contractors, I realized very quickly that a lot of these contractors are, well, one, they're younger than me. So they're in their twenties they kind of grew up in the area around construction, but they, um, their actual knowledge about construction was, in my opinion, was a little limited compared to what I knew. And so very quickly, I realized, well, I know more than most of these contractors. And the way that they put their, um, their pricing together is a big thing out here is called cost plus pricing, which means they'll charge you for whatever it costs to build plus their fee. So whether they do a great job or an okay job, or they're not even paying attention to the job, they're going to get their fee on top of whatever it costs. Well, whatever it costs too, you know, we know even more recently how crazy material costs are, whether it's wood, copper, what have you. Um, They're just going to buy whatever and use whichever subs they feel comfortable with, whether the subs are good or okay Um, and so through that whole interview process, I realized, well, shoot, um, I've got two choices. One, I can build these myself, get my contractor's license and build them myself. Or two, I could, um, hire somebody, pay them, 
probably not get as good of a product, but at least my time is freed up to do other stuff. Well, um, I knew with my engineering work, I didn't really want to grow that business. It was kind of more to just get me started in real estate when I moved out here. And so what I decided to do was scale back my engineering business and then actually start up a development business. It's much more um, in this town. It's, it's much more profitable. I'm able to scale it a lot more easily um, because I can hire either a project manager, uh, administrative assistant, um, as opposed to my engineering business where I would need to find engineers. And what I do is so specialized within structural engineering, I'd have to mentor them and, and really teach them. And um, so I decided, well, I've got these five Airbnbs that I want to build. And then um, I found a partner out here who can get land really um, cheap and, and has a lot of connections. So I partnered up with him and now we're building 13 houses uh, this year. And it's going to be profit wise. It's going to be crazy. Um, it's going to be a lot more profitable than my engineering business. It's been a lot of fun so far. And, you know, with some of these houses, we might actually even keep them too. So it's also building up my portfolio here in Nashville as well. Now, is there any concern about them starting to be restrictive in that area for Airbnbs? <laughs> or are you far enough outside the the area where they're really cracking down? Yeah. So the, the lot that I got for these five is a commercial lot. So from that standpoint, it should be safe or so I thought. And now they're coming out with these crazy things like the parking situation. You know, um, I met the parking requirements from the city for these builds, but um, that's going to be something yet to be seen um, as these get built, um, if that law passes and then when it comes into effect. So essentially, I'm going up kind of against the time crunch, it feels like um, getting these built so that I can get them built fast enough, pull the permits. And then if that, let's say that parking uh, law goes into effect, I can get grandfathered in. Um, but if I ever go to sell them, you know, that, that, that's a whole other tricky part too. So um, this lot specifically should have been bulletproof from the get go um, just because it is zone commercial, but uh, the, the council people in this town have, they'll find a way to get you. Well, yeah, once once again, they find a way to uh, make everybody's life uh, a little bit more uh, difficult. So that's what the government is there for: make your life difficult. Yeah. Um, so, do you manage those Airbnbs, or do you have a casa or, or a company like that, or is it just you and your wife? Yeah. So it's it's really me, and um, yeah, my my wife, she's awesome. She uh, she doesn't ask many questions. She kind of lets me do my own thing um, when it comes to the business, but it's, it's, it's all me as far as um, managing them and uh, making sure things are working well. I, I read a book. Um, shoot. It's called like optimize my B and B. It was written by a guy who, who used to work for Airbnb. Very good book. Um, and it kind of is like almost like a step-by-step -step tutorial of how to run and optimize your own, short-term rentals. Um, and the reason I decided to self-manage um, is a lot of these uh, management companies charge you, I think, close to about 20% 20, gross yeah. revenue, which if you make 100000 in a year on your 
your rentals, like that's 20,000 out of your pocket. And it's, it's a pretty tough thing to swallow, especially with so many different software programs you can use to automate your, uh, your B and B's. Like I have, um, probably two or three different ones and I probably spent about a hundred dollars a month on them combined. They, you know, they take care of my pricing. They take care of my communication with guests. They set up everything for my cleaning. What do you mean? Like it has a robot answer them if they send a message? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Good deal. Yeah. There's, um, I think that one specifically is called like smartbnb.com. A good program. Uh, yeah. They'll send automated messages. So when someone books, they'll send a reply. And the cool thing about that one is it took away 80 plus percent of what I had to communicate with my guests, but my reviews uh, started getting better and better because the guests are thinking that this is me. You're sitting there taking all the time typing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, my, my reviews, you know, they were good, but a lot of four star reviews and in the short term rental game, um, it's all about five star reviews, you know, yeah. being that super host. And yeah, uh, just by making that one minor tweak, spending the half hour it took to put those messages together, which I got from that book. Um, it, yeah, it, it's fantastic. Now, if I ever move out of the area, um, and keep these Airbnbs, that's going to be a, you know, a little bit different because it is good to walk the property from time to time and just, you know, kind of be like boots on the ground. So that's one thing I'm going to have to figure out, but, um, you know, that's something I, I can definitely teach someone and, you know, pay them probably a, a salary per month. And even then, you know, maybe pay them 5% of gross revenue rather than going with a, a management company and paying a whole heck of a lot more. Once again, for me with real estate, a lot of it is control and, um, whether it's from me directly. And I know a lot of investors are like, well, I invest because I want to free, you know, free up my time. And I, I totally get that. And that's one of my goals as well, um, eventually. Um, but if you don't have your pulse on something, uh, it can go wrong very quickly. And I know that because of my the freaky fast business that I have, um, you know, left up to other people with, not good systems or oversight, um, things can get crazy pretty quickly. So, um, whether it's me doing it myself or me hiring someone directly rather than going through a third party company, um, that's you, you know, that's usually how I've run things. And, you know, it's, everyone does it differently in this business. And I don't think any one person's right or one person's wrong. It's just, you always got to go back to what your goals are. Why, are you doing this? Why are you in this sort of uh, industry? And once you're able to answer that question and then align what you do with that answer, then it doesn't matter how you do it. Now, on that uh, freaky fast business you were talking about, that's your business where you're flipping and providing turnkey rentals. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That one, that business, so it's all out of state. You know, nothing, uh, we don't do anything here, at least right now in Tennessee, we're doing stuff in Georgia. We're doing stuff in Ohio. We're doing stuff in, in Texas. Um, that's, um, that business is, is definitely high volume. So it's a lot different than what I do personally. For me personally, 
Um, you know, I like to do stuff local. I like to do stuff, uh, not, uh, you know, a couple flips or rentals a, a year. The freaky fast business is all about, um, quantity. So we're doing, I think at one point we were doing 10 houses a month right now. We're probably hovering around five or six a month. Um, and that one, um, I have two partners on one guy is like the buy and sell partner. So he's really good at finding properties and then getting them sold. Um, I'm doing like the, uh, in between. So I'm running the projects with the, you know, with the contractors that we've hired. And then the third partner, he's like the financial guy. So he's like the money raiser. Um, he, he, he's run multi-million dollar companies. So he's overseeing the operations and the systems and, uh, the bookkeeping and all that. So, um, that business itself is an example of how, when you partner with people, especially people that have skill sets outside of yours. So they have strengths where I'm weak and then I have strengths where, where they're weak. Um, that one was kind of just like an explosion of a business. You know, we went from, um, just visiting these towns outside of, you know, our area, um, to buying, you know, shoot six, seven houses a month within the first two to three months. Um, and that, that business, yeah, we'll buy, you know, uh, usually B low B to high C class houses, you know, um, fix them up, rent them out, and then usually either hold on to them and put them in, in a fund that we created, uh, an equity fund, or we sell them to uh, other investors as turnkey rentals. Now, those two partners, are they in Nashville or are they out in these other states that you guys are buying the properties? Uh, one guy was here in Nashville. Um, he since has moved uh, to Fort Worth, Texas. And then the third partner was always in Fort Worth. Oh, so, really? yeah, our kind of home base uh, main operations area is in Fort Worth. But yeah, nobody, none of the partners um, actually live in any of these um, places that we're investing. So, right so how now. did you get hooked up with these guys? Um, I was going to, I bought a property and it was a little funky. Didn't know if I wanted to take it on or not. So I kind of tested the waters to wholesale it. Um, and that's where I met this one guy, Jason, and he's, he's a salesman. So he's the buy sell guy and he's like straight salesman, you know, definitely not, not my expertise, not anything I'm, but he sold me on this, this idea of doing a turnkey business. You know, he's like, I got the, you know, I got, um, this great place in, in Georgia, like, you know, houses are like sixty, seventy thousand dollars. We can put thirty thousand into them and sell them for a good, you know, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollar profit, and we can do it fast. I've got the contractors, this and that, and you know, half half of it uh, was his his salesmanship. But you know, I went down there with him, and I met the contractors. And I, you know, walked half a dozen or so houses. I looked at the you know, uh, everything they had in the town. Um, and it looked like a great market. The numbers worked out, you know, these were numbers where, let's see, we were buying houses back. This was two years ago. Um, you know, we'd buy a house for like, let's just say 50,000. We throw 25 into it. And so we're all in at 75. Well, we could easily sell it for 95 quickly, or, 
we could sell it for more because they were renting for a thousand, eleven hundred. And so you met, you know, a lot of investors when it comes to rentals, they want that one percent rule to to pass, you know, thousand dollars in rent, hundred thousand dollar house. And so we easily met those requirements after, you know, making our profit. And so that's what we did. And, you know, fit the profit on these houses anywhere from 10,000, let's say to 25,000 doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot. If you're doing a whole purchase rehab, get a renter in type thing. But if you're doing it at volume, it makes sense all day long. You can pick up a lot of properties very quickly. Um, and if you have the right systems, the right contractors in place, you can turn those very, you know, also very quickly. And so that's what we did. I think we bought about 70 houses the first year, um, year two COVID hit, but we kept buying, I think at some point over the two and a half, uh, a little, a little under two and a half years, we've been doing this business. I think we've probably bought about 170 houses and we've turned most of them. Um, but also, you know, out of state, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, it's great because you're going out of your normal area to find these specific places where the market's either hot or the numbers are really good as far as uh, rentals or flips or anything like that. But, you know, having that oversight, having those systems and keep holding people accountable, I learned these past couple of years is vital um, cause I've had to go through a whole bunch of contractors, you know, you show up, you're only visiting these properties probably once or twice a month, if that, um, and so when you go and you visit these properties, just like with the Airbnbs, you know, you see them in person is completely different than getting video or photos. And I don't care how good out of state investors are saying, oh, they provide video, I can see everything, this right. and that. Like, well, I, I was having them provide me video and photos, and then I show up and I'm like... Is this the same house? Uh, yeah, like this, they're, you know, and yeah, like little things, you know, little details here and there. It wasn't, but, you know, if they're not following the scopes and things like that, and, you know, we would also get um, uh, inspectors out there on these houses too. So it wasn't like... You know, we were getting third-party inspectors and, you know, a lot of our contractors are great, but then I'd show up to other job sites with other contractors and I'd have to fire them immediately on the spot. It's just like, there's no trust. You're not doing what I'm telling you to do. Like you're demanding payment, but you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So, um, you know, we fired project managers, property managers, you know, it's it definitely investing out of state and doing it yourself. Um, other than like through a third party turnkey company or pro uh, property management company, it's definitely a, a different experience. That's, that's for sure. That, that's why I was asking if they were in different States. Cause that seems like a nightmare trying to get a, a house flipped when you're not in the area and trusting, like you said, you really can't trust a lot of contractors. So for every contractor that, you know, I've had to fire, who's been a complete nightmare to work with we found the opposite too. contractors that I can completely trust. Um, but you know, we learned a lot too. different markets too. If you're in a very small market, there's not a lot of contractors around. There just isn't. Um, and if there's other companies doing what you're doing out there, like in Georgia, we're competing against hedge funds and they've put money into their project managers, whether they 
you know, brought them in from other states or what have you. And they, you know, they use a lot of the sub, the good subs that are out there. And it's very difficult sometimes to find good work. But then, you know, we're in other larger markets where it's almost contractors are a dime a dozen and you can find a lot of them. You know, there's a, a bigger pool to pull from. Um, and so just even being in different markets, you know, uh, I've learned a whole heck of a lot you know, the workforce and what's available and uh, things like that, especially when you do it on scale, like, like we've been doing. At this point, what does your portfolio look like? Close to 80 properties, is it? And most of that is with the the freaky fast business. Um, You know, we probably have uh, close to a dozen short-term rentals and then the rest are either single family uh, homes. Uh, We have a bunch of duplexes and triplexes. I think I had mentioned we have one 11 unit apartment building, that's that's the largest we have. And that one is really cool because that one we've turned into a um, a nurse, month-to-month nurse. Um, the traveling nurses, yeah. Travel, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know the exact... It's not short-term rental. It's not long-term rental. But yeah, it's the, the month-to-month traveling nurses. Um, and that's been awesome. You know, these, these apartment buildings, probably each unit, they're one-ones. They would rent for maybe with full being fully rehab, they maybe rent for like 700 a month, but with the traveling nurses, you know, we charge, uh, usually around 1200 a month. Wow. You know, we provide certain services for them, like free, uh, laundry services and things like that, but they're furnished, you know, free internet utilities, all that. But, you know, if you run the numbers from 700 to 1200, you know, your cash flow is, is significantly higher. And the nurses actually like to be in a place with other nurses. And um, so it, 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 that whole project has been a lot of fun because it's kind of just opened my eyes further to another way of, of investing. Um, but yeah, I would say portfolio right now is probably close to about 80 properties. Uh, for me personally, I own about uh, half a dozen units of short-term and long-term rentals. And then now I'm developing about I think 13 houses right now and probably going to keep half of them once they're we're done with construction, just get those refined into a, into a portfolio loan or something like that. So yeah, that's, that's where we're at now and just going to keep, keep growing, growing everything. So on that freaky fast one, at this point, you guys are just raising money, right? Are you putting any of your own money into it? At first we were putting our own money into it, but Almost since day one, that business has been mostly funded with private investors. What we do initially, it's kind of like hard money, but with not with traditional hard money lenders. Um, you know, we reach out to different contacts that we have um, that we've made throughout the years, and essentially we give them kind of like hard money terms. Um, and then just raise a hundred percent of the purchase price, a hundred percent of the, uh, rehab budget, and then give them, you know, first lien on the property. And we just, you know, obviously we close on it. We go in, we rehab it. And then our exit strategy is either one refi it into a fund that we created or, uh, sell the turnkey property to another investor. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, if maybe you're going to be selling some of these down the road, do you want to give out your contact information? Do you have an Instagram where you do anything with your business? Yeah. If you go to, um, uh, shoot, I guess my email is 
Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W at freakyfasthomebuyers.com. You can either email me directly. We have a website, um, freakyfastinvestments.com. That's more for the investor side. Um, We have a couple websites, but for investors that want to invest with us, uh, freakyfastinvestments.com is a good place to go. Um, And, you know, I, I tell everybody, you can easily find me on Facebook, Instagram, um, just under Matthew Haggerty. Um, and I'm, I always tell people like I'm always available to talk to people about real estate. I love talking about real estate. I love helping people when it comes to real estate. Cause I remember when I was first starting out, just so many questions. I read so many books, but I'd still have so many questions because there's a lot, there's a big difference between reading a book and talking to people that have experience doing this. Um, and I remember just banging, it feels felt like I was just banging my head against the wall for so long to figure stuff out. Whereas if you, you know, work with people that have been doing this for a while, like you can take that learning curve and, and really condense it. Um, and you can avoid a lot of the pitfalls that, um, people like myself have, have experienced throughout the years. Um, and so I always tell people, reach out to me. My skill set is very unique in that not only am I a structural engineer, but I'm a contractor and I've almost done it all and seen it all when it comes to residential work, different strategies of investing. Um, if Yeah, uh, I've, I've kind of done a little bit of everything it feels like uh, in this business. So I'm always happy to talk to people and help people and give advice or just listen to people's situations and try to problem solve with them as well. Awesome. Well said. Yeah. So I'll I'll put all your contact information and websites that you just mentioned in the show notes. So if anyone wants to reach out, uh, they can just click on that and reach right out to you. All right. So thanks for coming on with me, Matt. I appreciate it. Freakyfastinvestments.com. You can reach out to him at Matthew at freakyfasthomebuyers.com. Check him out on social media. He's at Matthew Haggerty. All right, thanks for joining me. We'll be back next week. You can check out the show anywhere you get podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Alexa. Get out there and get after it. We'll be back next Monday. Flat out. Thank you for listening to the Highly Leveraged Podcast. Leave a review and subscribe to get new shows automatically downloaded every Monday morning. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Highly Leveraged Pod. And check out our website at highlyleveragedpod.com for more info.